0: Welcome to the one Podcast. This is your host, Jack Gaines. 1CA is a product of the Civil Affairs Association and brings in people who are current or former military, diplomats, development officers, and field agents to discuss their experiences on ground with the partner nation's people and leadership. Our goal is to inspire anyone interested in working the last three feet of foreign relations. To contact the show, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com or look us up on the Civil Affairs Association website at www.civilaffairsassos.org I'll have those in the show notes and a quick shout out to LC38 brand they're offering 10% off for 1CA podcast fans the promo code is 1CA10 LC38 brand has a little bit of everything for the international adventurer so check out their website at lc38brand.com I'll have the promo code and the address in the show notes Today, we welcome Captain Daniel Moriarty, Professor John Malcolm, and Captain Tommy Daniel to talk about West Point's Center for the Study of Civil-Military Operations and the exciting new programs for students to learn CMO within the school and abroad. They also requested that I add that their comments are their own and do not officially represent any institution or organization. So let's get started. Since we have three people, can you do me a favor and voice in your name, so that when I'm editing later, I have them correct. <laughs> sorry, was that, was that for me? This is going to be for everybody, Captain. Let's start with you. <laughs> so there's two cabs on the line. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yep. Yeah. Captain Tommy Daniel. Okay. Captain Tommy Daniel, are you an instructor? Uh, no, sir. I'm uh, a data team lead for
1: a special operations task force under first special forces.
0: Oh, okay. You ever heard of Dave Maxwell?
1: The legendary man himself? Yeah.
0: I brought him in a couple of times. You'll have to check out his episode. We went around the world on policy and then focused on peaceful reunification of Korea. So it was
2: a good show. David was my battalion commander for 30 days, although I was largely on clearing duty at the time. So.
0: Oh, okay. So it wasn't a bad reason of 30 days.
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. He came in. He came in to replace our battalion commander just as I was PCSing from Okinawa.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, usually if they say 30 days for me, or if I say it's 30 days it's because of other reasons i'm usually like pulling up the carpet usually notice yeah. right yeah. <laughs> all right so captain moriarty do you want to give me a little intro and background
3: yeah captain dan moriarty i'm a uh, new instructor here in the department of geography and environmental engineering i think that's the military academy and i also serve as the executive officer for the center for the study of civil military operations
0: okay and is that physical geography or is that human
2: geography
3: so uh uh yes <laughs> yes i did my uh graduate school research on human geography and i actually majored in human geography as a cadet here i graduated about 10 years ago but i will be teaching physical as well so i'm having to hit the book a little bit of the learning process
0: oh i think you should get a grant and just travel all over the world and then study this the weather on site don't do it this way it's much better that way
2: yeah that's a nice segue too because that's effectively what i do so uh john Malcolm, professor of geography here at the academy i teach the geography of the middle east and north africa and lecture in the geography of sub saharan africa i'm also the director for the center for the study of civil military operations i'm a retired special forces officer as well as served many years as a civilian operations officer for the department of defense before coming here 11 years ago to start and direct this program how you liking it well I- at the front end i said i'd stay here for three surely thereafter due to a down economy and uh shrinking budgets i said my mission wasn't fulfilled so i'd remain for five and then i stopped giving annual notices on that a number of years ago which has got me again over the decade mark and probably uh not dying anytime soon in this seat.
0: okay well that's kind of cool that's that's exciting and so are you the person that started tying in human geography with physical geography where did that concept come from
2: the center that I am directing was founded and placed here in the Department of Geography, um, and thus I was subsumed into the faculty here. So, again, I think I bring you somewhat of a different perspective by not being a classical geographer, and I would argue when I came here that I was somewhat of a, uh, not a critic necessarily, but I came to realize in my SF career And uh, virtually everything that I'd done, the importance of it, and once I began to become a little bit more concerned and focused on the geopolitics side of it, uh, I realized the absolute importance for our cadets.
0: Oh, cool. You know, I was just talking to John Cassara, and he was talking about the importance of culture and geography. We were calling it cultural scent or cult scent because the importance of knowing the human geography, but kind of their cultural ties in between in order to better navigate and understand those people, So it sounds like you're kind of delving into that world. That's really cool.
2: Yes, we are. And I would argue synthesis is indeed CMO in so many ways. Sure, because we struggle often
0: when soldiers go overseas or diplomats or field agents in a lot of ways by not being connected with the populations. How do we get past transactional relationships with partner nations and into actual full-blown relationships where our partners are embedded as much as we are in partner nation stability and building international relations and the, that whole expanded universe.
2: I, I would concur with that. And, of course, at the risk of the paradigm that every old man uh, will tell you it used to be better the way it was. Um, <laughs> I was raised as an SF officer and in a time of relative peace. Right went through the selection and, uh, and and training and everything else in the late 90s prior to 9-11. And so we were still working on the classic old edicts of special operations, which included the cultural familiarization and the cross-cultural competence, the language skills and all of those. And then understanding having been, you know, a part of it from inception, we had to push a lot of that to the side out of expediency for training acquisitions and the ability to put out a force, many of which we have tooled refocus and got more into direct action instead of the classic FID and And the other areas under the UW umbrella that we excelled at for so many years, but arguably now it's more important than ever as we're looking at large scale, peer, near peer competition, intractable combat and other things. We really got to sort of get back to that. I won't use that as a condemnation of the community now, but it's just gonna be interesting. The great, not necessarily an equalizer, but disruptor in all of this is the innovation side of it, in particular with regard to technology. Sure. But as I've been told by people like David Petraeus, who always reminded me when I used to talk to him on conversations of big data applications and machine learning, everything else, he said, that's all fine. That's all well to get educated, John. But just remember, it better be a human that's making the decision on the ground with another human. So you can't lose all of that.
0: Right.
3: You know, one of the courses in the Department of Geography here that's required for all cadets, regardless of major, is the physical geography course. And towards the end of it, there's a block where we introduce the ideas of human geography and cultural geography. And, you know, the intent behind teaching all these cadets those ideas isn't that we're going to produce a thousand CA officers or foreign service officers over year. But the idea is that if you're an infantry lieutenant going to Poland on a rotation, that's not your first time ever considering that. People have different cultures, their politics, their communities, you know, all those things that I think come of like in nature, you know, those of us in the uh, interagency. So, yeah, I think it sounded really good in the, in the department here uh, with how we try to get after the natural and human environment.
0: Fantastic.
3: You know, when I was a
1: rising senior at West Point, you know, that's my first introduction through Mr. Melcon the center to, you know, interagency partners. So we did an event, you know, where I got to meet folks that had worked for, with the UN that had run nonprofits. I think that experience and that kind of understanding was invaluable. I became a you know, an infantry platoon leader in Germany and, uh, and then, you know, like deployed to Ukraine, did a bunch of different training exercises and kind of interacting with population in Eastern Europe. As a conventional officer, no, of no, that was covered in like No, of that was covering in ranger school. But at the end of the day, I found myself in Eastern Europe trying to assure our allies that, you know, we were committed, we were there. And then, you know, when in support of the people, that the United States was a reliable and consistent partner through NATO. So it was great to have that at West Point. And the fact that we continue that with, you know, regionally aligned forces, deploying brigade combat teams throughout the world, I think having the center there strategically positioned to train rising second lieutenant kind of like show them the world so to speak and like the, all the big picture and the actors that, that make it a better place
0: and then be able to work with them is vital do you have an example of that uh
1: yes you know you know i met a development worker through csc mo and and in west point named you know miss walsh and the thing that i kind of understood from that engagement was kind of like the vital role that matriarchal kind of society and you know, ways of life that you could take from kind of development for working specifically like women-specific programs and development. So when I deployed a civil affairs team into Moldova as a cross-functional team leader and special operations liaison element to Moldova, I took that forward. One of our first projects was the border of Genestia, you know, the Brickway region of Transnistria and Moldova. And then you know, we met with the hospital administration chief. She was also the primary doctor in that little region. We focused on kind of some of her problem sets of like how we could increase societal resiliency in, in that region. And one of them was a, was a, a way that the medical device to identify ovarian cancer, they didn't have one. So they have to you know, drive a couple hours to Kiesnau, the, uh, the capital of Moldova, to, to get screened for cancer. You know, we looked the Spirit of America, Colleen Denny, we got a Colt donated you know, we were also able to, you know, support her through some other kind of planning, emergency planning and, and you know, basically just, you know, our, our ability to to support I think having that connection with CSMO and identifying kind of, you know, a different lens from which to view support to the population. And and I think that was like super helpful because now, you know, women in that region, you know, don't have to travel two hours. And I think it was a, a great win for the United States and Moldova and to highlight our partnership.
0: And that's a really great example of coming in and finding a problem to solve, and how you as an agent of the U.S. working on ground can forward foreign affairs. 100%,
1: right? Like, you know, uh, civil affairs, I mean, that's our, our bread and butter, you know, non-civil affairs U.S. forces deployed, and they want to work with uh, DACA or some other military operations and outreach. Having the center there and having lessons learned like that, Ms. Walsh, will enable them to do the exact same thing without a two-year pipeline and the other stuff in
0: between. Right. And how is your work with first soft? Are they understanding where you're coming from with the civil affairs aspects?
1: I think definitely, um, all, all across the soft spectrum due to great power competition, you know, there is an increased focus in the human domain. Mm-hmm. And I think we're exploring say projects and, and research. And from the operational side of the house, being able to take some of those lessons learned, I think we're definitely in in a good direction for using data and analytics to sense and understand the information and geospatial environment.
0: Okay. Tommy, that's really great. Dan or John, do you want to introduce CSCMO a little bit and give a little background for people?
2: Sure. I'll go ahead and do that. And I think even the question you asked me earlier about the uh, being nested within geography and where that is, we can talk about the Sort of decision side on that, but I think Danny will be great as a young faculty member who's now applying his trade here to uh, incorporate the CA attitude, understanding everything else, and why it's relevant here. So I came here in 2012. The center was formed on a gift, the GPD charitable trust, whose founder was a former civil affairs officer. He had experienced as a uh, activated reserve civil affairs officer, contributing to the operations in uh, Iraqi freedom. He often tells a vignette about being there in the first days when uh, the Corps commander and General McNeil was talking a little bit about how the 18th Airborne Corps was going to go in and topple the country and then shortly thereafter reestablish order and other things. He talked about a young uh, officer that asked something about sort of the the quintessential, you know, what next question and felt that, you know, in many ways we had a tremendous amount of uh, capability to invade and occupy the country but we really did not incorporate a lot of the lessons learned in previous conflicts over many years. We had handled post-war occupations in countries like Germany, countries like Japan, countries like the Philippines, countries like Italy. Contrast that with sort of a uh, resounding peace in uh, Korea into a continual decline in the uh, aftermath of Vietnam. But even in Vietnam, there are tremendous lessons there. Early on, we featured some of the members of CORDS under Bob Comer and some of the other great interagency programs that were instituted. So all of these sort of historical elements were sort of enshrined in the thought process that he had and then brought to me when we decided to begin to develop the center and landed here at West Point for its implementation. And so when I arrived here, I looked at the curriculum and thought to myself, okay, how can we get to these topics, many of which are strategic in nature with CMO, many of which don't get introduced into a curriculum until perhaps... They're going off to CGSC or ILE or some other junior field grade applications. But arguably, we were learning on the ground, either by hook or by crook, as junior leaders within these countries as we occupied them. And that was all the classic quintessential interagency slash sort of spectrum of power that's required to engage and that's how do you work with IGOs? How do you work with NGOs? How do you work with the host nation? How do you work with the local populace? How do you work with public sector, or private sector elements that are there, and seek favorable outcomes? And so, that's a huge mandate, right? So I thought to myself, how can I distill this down? And I worked closely with a lot of uh, support from our department head at the time, Brigadier General Wiley Thompson, as well as by my cohort, Colonel Andy Lohman, who was my co-director for the geography program. Sort of collectively, we thought to ourselves, okay. It's hard to impact on the curriculum here at West Point. There's a finite amount of time and an infinite amount of demand for things that were going on. So the way we organized things was into a four-pillar model. And the first pillar we call symposia and sharing is we looked at how can we run a conference that can sort of capture these lessons. And so that eventually evolved into our student workshop for civil military operations. Um, we hold that every year, try and do that on a topic of contemporary relevance, as well as, again, look historically at other things. We try and bring in people across that entire span of uh, operational inputs to a complex operations. Aid, state, NGOs, IGOs, various others that come in, as well as the members of the civil affairs community from 95th CA, as well as the reserves that contribute over the years. So I think that that event sort of encapsulates the symposium sharing piece. The other part of our four pillars was scholars and speakers. We realized that if you can't run an entire course on this topic, then you can bring in thought leaders. We've relied on a lot of thought leaders across the spectrum, civil affairs officers, people from PKSOI, people from USAID, people from the United States Institute of Peace, and various others that have come in. And then we've been able to farm them across the curriculum in other departments and other classes. In order to be able to have a positive effect and we've done that with social sciences we've done that with engineering disciplines we've done that with cyber we've done that with security studies and various other programs another piece that we have that is our summer internships here we call them individual advanced development (AAIDs).
0: of course it's the military we can't say something absolutely right gotta use
2: five (laughs) is far too understandable far too clear we got to clutter it with an acronym with our internships we've sent them out to a number of different places Again, I just mentioned some of those organizations previously, USIP. If I put them in every single combatant command, as well as usually at the Army component of that, I've sent them to seven continents over that time. We've actually had one go down to the International Station in Antarctica over the years. We've sent hundreds of them, and it's an opportunity, again, for them to not only just sort of take the lessons that they learned within the prior uh, pillars, but then apply them in a practical sense when they're out there within the field. And then also part of that, too, is a cadet club which Tommy was the the founding member of. And that club organizes things like spring break trips. We've sent them over the years to Haiti. We've sent them to South Africa. We've sent them to Uganda. We've sent them to the Netherlands. We've sent them to Germany. We've sent them to the Philippines, Hawaii, began to immerse themselves into an environment where they can begin to see CMO in practice. And then the last piece is that we formed a course I mentioned earlier that the quickest way to to get to uh, effect, we believe, was to go ahead and work across the disciplinary environment. We continue to do that with targeted speakers. But then here within the department, we're able to create a curriculum. And we have a course, which in the civil affairs vernacular, we're calling 438. The number was available and I took it. I jumped on it. So uh, EV438 is the uh, Colloquium on Civil Military Operations. If we take a complex operation, we break that down into a uh, case study on a number of different ways that they'll see that they as future platoon leaders or jmos in general or just military officers because it's scalable all the way up to senior ranks would be engaging with a lot of these different actors on the field and everything else and so that four pillars environment we organized that early we've been able to work around it we've shrunk we've expanded in certain areas within that for uh, opportunity and for supply and demand purposes but uh we still rely on that heavily as a clear means to be able to demonstrate how we can bring the best education, training, and inspiration to the cadets while they're here.
0: What kind of reactions have you seen from the students? Are they getting a real spark from it? Are they curious? Is it drawing them in? Are they following up? What are you seeing as a result of the program?
2: Two cases in point that resonate in my mind. We had a cadet who participated in the student workshop on civil military operations who ended up getting calling up from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, as a platoon leader for her MP company and was suddenly placed in Monrovia, Liberia on the, the Ebola response. All right, so we're talking a non conventic environment, although an environment that had its own security challenges. We're talking an environment of fear. We're talking environment of austerity, an environment of challenge. And she reached back to us afterwards and said, you know what, all I had to do was go back to the relationships that I'd made, some of the principles that I understood about how to apply CMO in that environment. She described in detail about how she was able to go ahead and educate her company commander. You know, we need to do so first. We need to go find out where Medicine Sans Frontieres is. We need to go find out where the UN is right now. We need to go find out where other private NGOs, which could range from the International Committee of the Red Cross, right down to two men or two women in a truck. And figure out what they're doing right now and how we can go ahead to work with them in order to synthesize our efforts achieve favorable outcomes for both sides and other things. And she actively did that. I mean, organized a number of different responses that helped to cut through much of the uh, difficulties that often occur in those environments. When you don't know who's who in the zoo, you don't know how your efforts either can complement one another or contradict one another. And I count that as sort of a blessing of there's one that sort of learned and understood.
0: Did her boss respond well to it? Did it go okay? Did he tell her to go sit in the back and color? No,
2: or? no, right? You know, <laughs> uh, in this case, it was well-received. Good. And, and she had, you know, I, I don't know the, all the details, but, you know, from her point of view, whatever else, to not only understand the viewpoints, this is all cross-culture, it's not just limited to language in uh, foreign countries in international scope. Right. How do we understand a little bit about the needs? Of our uh, of our junior leaders, how do we understand about their skills, their effectiveness? Tommy and I go back and forth all the time. He calls me an old man or a dinosaur whenever I'm trying to <laughs> relate something on a computer or with regard to technology. And back when Nixon some, uh, was here, righteousness in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay away from the machine, old man. Um, but uh, I, what, I, what I'm getting at is that if leaders are open to the changing dynamics, the introduction of intrusive elements like technology, and understanding how effective those things can be then you're going to have success. And in her case, it did work out that way. She talked about how she was able to organize working groups, represent at that junior level, because she's the one that went out and made the relationship. She knew who to go to. She knew what to do, and she made it happen. Made her boss look like a million bucks, too. Yeah, in fact, I would love to recommend her uh, to you for another conversation, if possible, because I think, again, it's a a really great example of uh, how our junior leaders are demonstrating a very larger mindset than perhaps was uh, even evident in my day and or what is demanded of us, certainly in the coming years
0: cool i have a dozen questions for you on your travels but i feel like i've totally ignored dan moriarty who actually organized this whole thing dan are you around or have you fallen asleep or given up and thrown your coffee mug yeah,
3: on the ground No, I, I mean i'm hey you know as a professional <laughs> joe about just getting people in the room right right around the table so what impressions have you had so far from the discussion my main feeling is regret that Cadet Moriarty 10 years ago didn't know about the center's existence. In the short time I've been here, I've had a already already approach me asking about civil affairs. I've had to, you know, slow them down and say, hold on, listen, well let's get past Bullock first, you know, get past be a good platoon leader before you uh, worry about putting your packet in. But I mean, it's great. It's, it's really inspiring to see how motivated these young men and women are. All right, cool.
0: Well, so do you have any last thoughts on today's
2: discussion? Jack, let me let me jump in here right now too quick because, you know, as you've seen we've talked a little bit, there's a bit of an evolution here, right, from John de Blasio and the GPD Trust as our founding donor and his experiences in CMO. You know, my own experiences as an SF officer and the way in which I perform humanitarian assistance operations, counter-drug operations, various other things that fall outside the spectrum of direct action – on to Tommy's inspiration piece there and his own vignettes about things that are going on. And Dan has opened the door, if you will, for a discussion about peers and other things that are going on. But part of this whole evolution is that Dan and his role now as a future XO... We're intending to leverage that, his own experience, his own future research to do that. I think he's got a pretty good breadth and depth of understanding in his own research in Africa that he could share that, once again, not only demonstrates the civil affairs nexus to the CMO world and how that's arrived, but now how it's returning to the classroom, turning out the next generation of leaders in CMO. All
0: right. So thanks a bunch. I appreciate your time. I, I see people are running off, so. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks again, thanks Jack. Hey, Jack. Thanks so much. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a good time. So, all right, I'm out. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please like and subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're interested in coming on the show or hosting an episode, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. And thank you again to LC38Brand for offering 10% off to our listeners. We've been nominated for the People's Choice Awards, and this is a little extra treat for those who made it happen. Again, the code is one CA ten, and the site is lc38brand.com. And now, most importantly, to those currently out in the field, working with a partner nation's people or leadership to forward U.S. relations, thank you all for what you're doing. This is Jack, your host, Stay tuned for more great episodes, 1CA Podcast.